I think I'm probably more on the end of I don't have anything figured out because <laughs> compared to everything, my knowledge is just a drop in the bucket. And I've been asking this a lot to people lately, like what are the things that you're certain of? Mm. And I'm finding that my list is smaller than it used to be. We aspire to become awakened beings, to live in harmony with the truth of life. From Vast Noodle Media, I'm Trent Bell. This is Knowing and Believing, a podcast about how we believe. Okay, thank you for tuning back in to this next podcast with Sean Brace. We're going to go right back in where we left off with me discussing what I am scared of when I consider belief. Thanks again for tuning in, and here we go. I'm desiring truth far more than I ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm scared of is that there just isn't anything and mm-hmm. that we are just highly evolved bacteria mm-hmm. that will die heat death <laughs> billions of years from now. And that I don't like that because I love my children and I want to be with them forever. And mm-hmm. I want to see my parents again and everything, you know. Um, and, and that's, there's a quote, something about the, the, um, the cruelty of... I don't know, I'll say it roughly, but it's like coming to a point of consciousness of realizing you are, but then realizing you will no longer be mm. eventually mm-hmm. is, is one of the most cruel things of existence. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously from a atheistic perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the bottom line. You don't know. Yeah, no. It, and coming to a place of being able to accept that, Mm-hmm. It is hard. And, and I was, you know, Mario Delis, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I talk a lot with him. He's, he's a great guy for putting me in my place uh, for my <laughs> personal issues occasionally and just uh, a good guy to talk to about thinking stuff. Um, but he was talking about just that tension of mm-hmm. living in the middle of, uh, you know, knowing and not knowing mm-hmm. and, and accepting that tension and living within that. And for me, I was I always experienced the cultural expectation that it would be you can be certain mm-hmm. and, and you should get there and be that way. And and I always had the analogy. I, I remember coming up with this when I was a teenager, thinking that if there's a gun that's mm-hmm. a truth gun, if you're not telling the truth, it goes off. So would you put your head up to that and say, I certainly believe there is a mm-hmm. God? And there's no way I would have ever put my head up against that Mm -hmm. because I didn't know if I was honest with myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, uh, I lived with that forever knowing that I'm not ready to put my head up to the truth gun because I don't know for sure. But my cultural pressure is that it looks like everyone else is certain about this. Why am I not? And that's a hard thing. Why, Why don't we live more in that existence more like, I, it sounds like the Jews do where it's, it's far more embracing the questions and the conversation mm-hmm. of struggling with not knowing, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and what this all means rather than saying we have the answers to what everything means and here's the answers and you can be certain about it. You're willing to recognize that there's a good, happy medium where maybe it's not, I have everything figured out versus I don't have anything figured out and I don't think I ever will be able to figure anything out. Right. Right. Like there's somewhat like, I feel like I'm, well, I think I'm probably more on the end of, uh, 
like I don't have anything figured out because <laughs> compared to everything, like my knowledge is just a drop in the bucket. But like there are some core, and I've been asking this a lot to people lately, like what are the things that you're certain of? Mm. And um, like I'm finding that my list is smaller than it used to be. I think as people age, their list gets yeah, smaller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, and like, but that doesn't mean there's no list. Right. Yeah. No, I, if I'm thinking of that, I, I'm, I'm certain I, uh, I'm, I'm certain I'm, I'm a pretty messed up person. <laughs> I'm certain I've done some pretty messed up things, uh, to people. I, mm-hmm. I'm certain I love my kids. I'm certain I love my wife. I'm certain I've not treated my wife as she should have been mm-hmm. treated. And, but I'm also certain I did a lot of it out of just plain ignorance and not yeah. being self-aware too. Um, but that's not, it's definitely not an excuse to continue in that path yeah. either. And so, it, yeah, it's, um, the things I'm certain of are more in the subjective realm. More personal. Yeah. 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 And I, I, you know, all those are similar to mine, uh, as a starting point, but I, you know, there are some things that I would say are outside of my own journey per se that I feel pretty certain of. But again, that list is not as long as it used to be like a very, it, this is going to sound like a, a very foreign idea to many of your listeners perhaps, but it's just one example in our particular denomination, it used to be taboo to wear a wedding ring. No, yep. And I was certain, I don't have one. I was certain that you shouldn't wear one. It's like, <laughs> now I'm like, eh, you know, another one, uh, you know, certain that you could not use drums in a worship service. It's like, really? Is that something that is black and white? So, I mean, these are very sophomoric examples, but nevertheless, in, you know, some people hear like some hardline Adventist here and they're like, oh my goodness, he's throwing everything out. Like the next thing you know, he's going to be yeah. topless in a bar like you and Amber were talking about on <laughs> Friday night. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it's those kind of, you know, very, to me, very trite mm-hmm. things that, you know, it's like, really, you know, a, well, could, a ring could, or, a, could, or drums? And could I, could I propose to you that maybe this is, I, I don't want to be condescending here, like, like try to imply that this is the reason why, but there might be some level of influence in that because conservative fundamentalist faiths elevate everything to the level of certainty that the things that really are kind of foundational, they kind of fall apart because when we discover that these other things aren't really that Mm. black and white, like, Oh man, if like, it's not really a sin to wear a wedding ring. Like that person also told me that, you know, there's a creator yeah, and I and I think you know, uh, as you gained from my conversation with Caleb, yeah, uh, it was it was uh, all you nothing. know if if uh, if evolution is questionable, then it's all at the window. Or mm-hmm. if, you know, if anything's questionable, it's all out the window. It's like, and it's it's kind of like they took things that are important, and if you if you think of like you know the fundamentals of love mm-hmm. as being a large boulder that's the most important, and it's up top. And then we have all these other things of like little twigs mm-hmm. that are like, you know, dressing to the T to draw attention to yourself. Like, mm-hmm. don't wear a wedding band, but you have <laughs> this bright tie on and driving, uh, you know, a, a Maybach or something. I don't know. 
but it's like they elevate mm-hmm. the the lo- fundamentals of love are up here, but then also these little meaningless little twigs are poking yeah. up to the same level. And it's like, you're trying to get across all this stuff. Where's the solid surface of mm-hmm. the fundamentals of love? I just want to find that. Yeah. And, and I just, you know, I remember my church that I used to go to, they had, they were going into this whole thing uh, of, it was some cryptic thing of like, are we going to be made perfect before God returns? Yeah. And I remember sitting on the sidelines of that discussion and being like, good grief. Are you kidding me? I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go outside and play, you know, it, it's just ridiculous. And my parents actually visited uh, during the time when that whole discussion was going on. And my dad, like my some of the people in that discussion were very like, oh, we've got a guy that, it, you know, was a conference president or mm-hmm. whatever. And we can really get his ear on this. And, and I, knowing my dad, I could just see him cringe. And he's just like, oh, gosh, I yeah. like this. And he basically told everyone, he was like, listen, every time I see this kind of discussion come up in a church community, the church falls apart. Mm-hmm. That was the short answer. Lo and behold, <laughs> like months later, you know, it's like, everything hit the fan with that church and, and yeah, is this? Well, part of what I'm going to, what I'd propose to you is that when a church loses its, uh, a hold of why it exists, we start fighting about like these things and it requires more certainty because I need to differentiate myself from brother H over there. Right. And I need to dig in my heels. Um, and I would say, when, you know, fundamentalist uh, communities of faith tend to, like I would say maybe more than anything else, the defining characteristic is a, an attitude of isolationism. And when we just spend time with ourselves, we magnify issues that are not maybe that significant. It's like and, inbreeding. Yeah, it's inbreeding. And All of so, a sudden your blood doesn't clot anymore. <laughs> exactly. And so like one of the things that's been most helpful for me is that I spend a lot of my life in ministry with people who are not Seventh-day Adventists. Like the majority of it is with non-Seventh-day Adventists. Now, a good a good traditional Seventh-day Adventist would say, oh my goodness, he's becoming an apostate because they're all going to influence them. But it's again, it's like I feel grounded enough in my my value system that I can sit with a Jew, I can sit with a Muslim, I can sit with an atheist and not be threatened by them, nor necessarily be influenced them in like ways that I shouldn't be influenced. Now I would argue that the Jew, the Muslim, the atheist has plenty to teach me, but what that does especially is I have begun to realize that Seventh-day Adventism spends a lot of time answering questions that nobody's asking. Mm-hmm. Like okay. we, we just like are talking about things that, and this is again, Mormons, whatever, fundamentalist yep. Baptists. We just spend a lot of time coming up with questions that like answers that nobody is asking questions to. When I say nobody, are I we mean, talking like sanctuary doctrine type things here um, or like nitpicky no, I mean, or yeah, on full disclosure, I still value that teaching, you know, in, in that idea. I think there's relevant, if you have any question with that, yes. is just look it up. And just email <laughs> me. Email, me. email Sean. Um, no, like I would say more uh, elementary squabbles, like the wedding ring, like drums in church. What, like, yeah, like argue. what you were saying earlier. Like, what are people really needing? You know, mm-hmm. they're lonely. They're mm-hmm. hurting. They're messed up. Their families are messed up. They need community. They need interaction. Why are we? You we, know, 
let's just spend the rest of our existence on just caring for each other and loving each Mm -hmm. other and accepting each other and trying Mm -hmm. not to change. And this is a thing I learned a while ago that kind of hit me weird. It's like if, if you try and judge someone and correct them into being healed, it's just not going to work. But if you love and accept Mm -hmm. someone into being healed, they'll find themselves how they need to be healed through just having your acceptance and love and never your condemnation. Acceptance is the most healing thing that there is. So yeah, yeah. A quick example is here in Maine, we have like the largest death rate of people from opiate uh, overdose. So that's a major issue, but we're like arguing about whether a woman can be a pastor. (laughs) It's like, really? Yeah. yeah. What are yeah. we doing here? Yeah, when I when I look at those kind of comparisons, you know, the 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 real painful reality of a kid growing up in Adventism mm-hmm. and, and being gay, opioid addiction mm-hmm. type stuff, it's it's uh it all seems very trite and tribal if mm-hmm. if you're focusing on those kind of things. Um again, that's not to deny that there are some things that I think are important that may have implications for those issues in society that maybe some people don't understand or appreciate. Mm-hmm. But that list again is a lot smaller than we probably think it is, right. at least in you know Adventism. Um, what this this is kind of my next mm-hmm. journey once I get time, which I may never. But uh, what are the different ways of knowing? You know how do how do you know a thing like you can know a person uh you can know a process you can know a fact mm-hmm. um you know in in knowing there's a god mm-hmm. uh, or not a god it, how do you how do you know yeah. that how do you come to realize that well and what are the genuinely different yeah, ways of knowing I, I mean i the one one of the ways of knowing that i um kind of rely on to a great degree today is kind of intuition and i think to some degree that is one of the stronger arguments for a theistic worldview is that like kind of at our core we have these intuitions that tell us something and we we almost have these longings it's kind of going back to what you're saying that um that we want something to exist that is eternal, that is outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the analogies I heard, uh, or there's there's something called incorrigibility. I don't know if you've ever come across this. Inc- incorrigible, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, so that's the term, but this philosophical term for incorrigibility is kind of like this intuitive like knowledge that says, I know it just because I know it. Okay, And which in- doesn't necessarily make it true. <laughs> no, but... Um, the example that I heard one of my friends use, and I thought it was a brilliant example, is let's say you went to, uh, you were going to vacation in Thailand, and you get off the plane, and immediately the police, they arrest you, and they, they throw you in jail, and you're there in jail, and you're like, what am I here for? And they're like, well, for drug smuggling. Now, you know that you did not have drugs on you. Right. Um, so you're, they take you to trial, they they present all of this evidence. They say, well, on, you know, whatever, May, what's today? May 16 or whatever, 17, uh, Trent Bell, you came into this airport and we found a guy that had, you know, black frame glasses. He was wearing a black hoodie and, you know, khakis and, and, and brown shoes. 
and he was, you know, this age, and he, there would never be a point during the trial where you would say, you know what, maybe they're on, maybe they're right. Right. <laughs> like they could present all evidence that is to the contrary, but you know, just because you know, right, that that is not you. And so that, that's kind of like encourageability and like that can't be transferred necessarily. Like nope. my belief that there is a God is something that I know just because I know. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's, again, it's like, because I've tasted it, I've experienced it. I intuitively want there to be something. You know, I have these longings that, that there's something outside of myself. Um, but that can't be transferred to you. Right. That just can't be like, and I can't prove it to you. I can't demonstrate it empirically. I can't put it in a test tube. And like, for me, I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, now I know that's frustrating to the person who wants there to be a God and you haven't like arrived at a place where you can say, Oh yeah. Okay. I've settled in my mind that there is a God and this is what he's like. Uh, so anyway, I would say intuition is a, is a type of knowledge that to me is a very important and, you know, uh, effective way of knowing. Um, Beyond that, I'm not a philosopher, so I'm not I'm not real well versed in epistemology. Um, but you know, there's empirical knowledge that can be tested and and theorized about and proven and so forth. Far more than just the objective realm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. What if does that answer know, the I'm, question at all? Yeah, yeah. I the the struggle that I have with the different ways of of knowing is that the the objective ways of knowing don't get me to a relationship with you know potentially there being a god Mm -hmm. right like i could um it's only through a relationship Mm -hmm. that that you could know god right Mm -hmm. so i could know all the facts there are to know like the bible let's let's say the bible is factual Mm-hmm. I could know all that, mm-hmm. uh, and then people could ask me, do you know God? Well, mm-hmm. I might know all the facts about Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. but if I said I know him, that yeah. would be ridiculous. So if you have a relationship with something, then, or you know, someone, then you can say, yeah, I know that person through you know, that subjective relationship. Okay, that's how you know God, and okay then. But the problem then is the ability you have to interact with God is... Uh, like no other relationship that you can compare it to because, you know, I'm just talking to myself if I'm going to be objectively objective about mm-hmm. it, you know, mm-hmm. that no one's talking back, uh, yet I'm expected to have a relationship with that. And I have to do it through kind of, like you're saying, intuition of desire and then received answers that I have to through coincidence and everything else kind of like, Oh, that was here. I wanted this or that, mm-hmm. or I desired that, or I was impressed by this. And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's through a very foggy glass darkly mm-hmm. we know now, and then maybe someday we are known, uh, that that's a whole conundrum for me mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the objective processes of being able to claim and know something are just not there mm-hmm. for me. Uh, and this subjective process of knowing a spiritual entity that might be out there, I have not been able to put my finger on. Mm-hmm. 
And my, my upbringing tells me that anywhere you would go to experience spirituality outside of, mm-hmm. you know, the sanctioned Biblical. thing. Yeah, there's only going to get you in trouble super mm-hmm. fast mm-hmm. and you'll just be deceived from there on. So it's like, you know, uh, Ouija board, seance and all that, that'll give you the, yes, there is something beyond us. Nope, don't go there, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I, you know, still wouldn't go there because mm-hmm. I'd be freaked out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just not going to um, ever get rid of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're, you're left between a rock and a hard place, it seems. You're left with this inability to, you know, effectively know that there's a God. You just have to live in that tension. And you can, you can only get there through a relationship. So I'm just hoping that there's an ability to somehow do that Mm -hmm. you know but at the same time that is such a foggy picking here and there and intuition i don't know how i could ever turn that into god disapproves of you being born gay you know Mm -hmm. and and you can't then be part of my congregation to lead out this that and the other Mm -hmm. hence you're going to feel suicidal because this is what you were born into Mm -hmm. that i just that's why i have to take a stand and you know back mm-hmm. away from Adventism until there's some gay pastors. I, I would just not go back um, because I don't understand at this point how, mm-hmm. how I could, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a clear conscience. Um, so that's, to me, it's, it's like those are two, the only two ways I currently know mm-hmm. of knowing something are these, you know, what I would call objective means and subjective means. And, and it seems like we've all experienced things that Mm -hmm. subjectively that we then encapsulate into, I think this is God. Mm -hmm. And then we have these objective things over here that really come from other people's objective experiences that they wrote down that we then call objective. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm still left with a very subjective experience knowing that the subjective experience will be highly manipulatable (laughs) through your own emotions, cognitive biases and everything else. So I'm, I still feel like I'm going in an absolute in chase in my tail and yeah. th- there is nothing and we're all meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, so if I heard you correctly, you were saying, and I know you've mentioned this before and we don't need to get into all the textual discussion, but one of the, like you, you almost want to believe in adventism ish no i i could care less about any denomination ever i'm i am anti any denomination (laughs) but i think that's honestly i think that's a personality quirk and shortcoming and something that i haven't unpacked from my past so well let me let me rephrase it you well, what I heard you say, though, is you could never be a part of it until there is a right. pastor or whatever. I mean, uh, if Adventism were to say, yeah, we, you know, ancient scriptures say this. Mm-hmm. The reality is that we have no clue why people are born this way and it's not a choice. Hence, God loves you, too. And mm-hmm. come help us find truth. Uh, and Ad- you don't hear Adventists saying that. No. Okay. <laughs> but if they were to say that. I I wouldn't have anything uh, at this moment. I would not have any. Give me time. But you know, I, I'm I'm a highly critical person. It's one of my many qualities. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I I wouldn't 
you know, the, the stigma against the, the cultural biases of the arguments between science and creation, mm-hmm. um, I just want to exist in the middle there. I don't know where to go with that, mm-hmm. honestly. I think both are critiquing each other very well in many ways. And so, you know, that is whatever. But if I'm searching for a spiritual community that uh, if I ever get to a point where I want to be part of a spiritual community uh, and it's it's open to whoever, whenever, mm-hmm. um, you know, and understand that you need to have people of responsibility mm-hmm. leading out. But, you know, if if at that level of not condemning someone for how mm-hmm. they were born and what they uh, do between consenting adults... Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be I'd be far more likely to be fine mm-hmm. interacting in that community. That's guess, a really I, long, drawn out, boring answer. Well, I <laughs> guess part of my response too would be like, where do you like where do you get the idea that it's wrong to mistreat someone who's like that? Where do I get the idea that you know I I I think I know where you're going with this, but yeah, <laughs> I, I just I know that. I know that excluding someone from a core group of people that give you meaning Mm -hmm. is, you know, as we were saying, just deeply hurtful. Mm -hmm. Um, And to do that to someone who had no choice in the matter for Mm -hmm. the way they were born, you know, is to me, I just see that as wrong. Now take us back however long ago and we came together as groups of people and for entertainment we would boil cats in oil Hmm. and that was okay and they would they would freak out and it was entertaining and then we'd throw another one in and that wasn't that long ago Hmm. you know um and you know and we we did this in race issues Mm -hmm. as well just you know saying well you're not you're not good enough because you're this that or the other Mm And, you know, we've moved on. Um, Obviously, where I was going with that is many of the the arguments we use to critique Christianity or Adventism come from the very... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. think there's a core in Christianity mm-hmm. that is extremely valuable, extremely important, and common to almost every other religion. Yeah, I heard Caleb saying that in the podcast, and I don't... You, you, you I, disagree I, with that. I, I disagree. I mean, there... If we're talking about a core, like I would say in religion in general, like, and I've not studied all of the religions extensively, but I've studied enough to know that, say, uh, Christianity and Buddhism have very, 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 very little in common. Well, like Buddhism's more, it's a philosophy. They don't believe Mm -hmm. really in anything other than, well, prepare yourself to die and be happy about Mm -hmm. it, you know? And there's there's a lot to be learned, I think, from Buddhism that's interesting. Uh, but it's it's basically an atheistic philosophy. Mm-hmm. Of so so whatever, yeah, whatever you want to go down the line. Hinduism. Now, obviously, there is more in common with the three monotheistic faiths. You know, mm-hmm. Christianity, sure. Islam, and Judaism. But yeah, I just don't know. Like, obviously. And I'm, you know, I'm not looking to argue, but like I, f- I feel as though a lot of what, of our, well, a lot of our modern slash postmodern sensibilities were introduced by, and and are owed to the Christian faith, mm. and then we turn around and we try to critique that faith, and we're using the very things that that faith gave us to then critique that faith, which is not necessarily a bad thing, like. That's one of the, that's one of the, that, I, that's a good thing. Yeah. I, yeah. And I heard, I heard, um, 
I heard, uh, who was I reading? I think it was Tim Keller, The Reason for God. He was pointing out how um, Marx, when he criticized religion, was so unoriginal. He said the prophets were doing this a long time before Marx. Like the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, hmm. like they were the greatest critics of religion. They were the greatest critics of of you know the faith of the time. So it's like I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm I'm just trying to point out that we wouldn't even know to criticize Christianity were it not for Christianity itself. Hmm. That's an interesting point. I'd I'd, I'd definitely be open to watching a YouTube video <laughs> on longer. I'm so bad with reading, but I I've gotten Which is like probably, it, to me, it's amazing in this age how much you can learn by through lectures yeah. on on YouTube. It's just incredible. I think I've, I've shared, so I've more. written this argument down to you before, which explains why it's new to you because you don't like to read. <laughs> I've written it in a message. <laughs> there we go. Anyway, we digress. Um, so, uh, let's see. As a person considers faith and belief, yeah. what are the pitfalls that can mislead them from truth? As a person considers faith and belief. Um, faith to, and or belief. And or belief, yeah. I would say the maybe the greatest inhibitor to faith is, and this is going to sound Buddhist almost, Mm-mm. but ego. Hmm. Um, like the kind of the um, perspective that I am the the arbiter and determiner of what is true and what is not true. Mm. And I think there's a lot of like, again, a lot of skeptics or agnostics or people who are just sort of floating around in the West these days who I would say like, I'm a lot more generous with people who sort of reject faith, like, like with you or Caleb or whomever else, my in-laws, um, they've been on our, our podcast before. Like I'm pretty generous. Like I, I, I sympathize with a lot of the rejection of those things. Um, at the same time, while understanding that you like, you know, you might be throwing a lot out at the end of the day, like, where am I going to, how am I going to land on what is true and what isn't true? And if I am kind of the, my own, um, judge, jury and executioner, that's a very, I would think number one, a lonely place as probably you can attest to, Mm. but it's a very challenging place to be because like how, as you've said, how can I just trust myself? Right. And I understand that, like, say, scripture, let's take the Bible as an example, has been used in a very, very abusive way. And so it's very tempting to just throw it all out because I'm not going to be in submission to that book that's been used in an abusive way. But at the same time, like, I would think it's really scary if I've determined that I'm going to be my own source of authority. Right. Um, yeah, it's kind of similar to the arguments uh, between atheism and theism where, uh, you know, you can say uh, the, uh, at least when theism behaves badly, you can mm-hmm. say, well, here's the standard and you're messing it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, atheists go just as bad the other way mm-hmm. as well. Um, but 
there's still this idea of intrinsically knowing uh, what's right and wrong Mm -hmm. um, to a large degree. But I think we've, we through history have kind of taken those things that we learn over time through mistakes and everything else. I'm certain uh, there's one thing I'm certain of (laughs) that we package them into tradition, religion and everything Mm -hmm. else and say, all right, we learn this, let's make it sacred. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I think there's a lot to that. But what what do you th- what do you think the the pitfalls are be beyond? Um, so are are you saying that you believe that relying on yourself for determining truth is is a major pitfall in that? Well, this is obviously as you have put your finger on, and again, Kayla was mentioning it in the in the episode with him, is that kind of step number one with any philosophical exploration is what am I going to decide is my um, source of authority, mm-hmm. right? Like I have to, I have to make sense of this, all this information, all of these ideas, and what am I going to judge that against? And so, you know, the Christian will, I think, rightfully try to establish the authority of scripture as that first step. Right. And I'm, I'm obviously coming from a perspective that says, yeah, like that's going to be the first step is I'm going to rely on this external source that judges me in many ways, because as you said, and you were alluding to scripture, like my heart is deceitful and contrary to the idea that I just think it's true because I want it to be true. Like there's a lot in there that punches me in the face. Like, cause when I, come up against it instead of just having it always comfort me which it does at times many times there are things that it points out in my life that are not where they should be and I'm not talking about like the stuff that's the petty you know like women should wear a head covering when they go in the church or whatever I'm talking about like love your neighbor as yourself like that confronts me so these are issues that if I was strictly submitting to it because it makes me feel good that argument kind of topples. Right. But it, it does make me feel good, but there's lots in there that doesn't make me feel good. What do you do with the the parts of Scripture that can be somewhat deplorable? <laughs> well, now we're getting into hermeneutics, right? Yeah. And, I mean, that's a long conversation, and we've written to each other. I don't know if you read it at all, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I generally do, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you just have to... When you approach scripture, if you are going to say, this is an authoritative text for me, you have to then decide what is the lens through which I'm going to read it based upon what it itself claims. Mm -hmm. And so I read scripture through the lens of three words, God is love. Right. And then everything is filtered through that. Now, why do I, why do I chosen that? Well, it's because in my life I've experienced that love. Um, The very central point of the whole thing is that, God willingly gave up his own life for me. So that demonstrates that he is love. And so, you know, one you and I have gone back and forth on is like genocide in the Old Testament. Like, what's up with that? Right. And th- that's one of those things where I say, what's up with all this? What's genocide? up with all the genocide? We got to do something about the genocide. Um, that's one of those one of those questions that probably actually for me is the most challenging to my belief in the authority of Scripture, I'll admit. But 
I admit that I don't know all of the answers on that. Yep. Now, you might come across a Christian when you're interacting with, and they're trying to come up with something that's like off the wall, but they like they don't have enough humility or they don't have enough security to say, I don't know. Right. Um, but for me, I say, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it all, but I like, I know that there is a God who sacrificed himself for those people. And so if he's willing to pay the ultimate price for them, I'm going to surrender to the idea that he might have some reasonable explanation for why he did it. I don't have to know why that reason is, but acknowledging that I might not have all of the data is something that helps me kind of sort through those sticky parts. I'm thinking they, they might have thought God told them to do some I stuff you, and I wrote know. some stuff down. There, and were there, like, I would, yeah, I would no, it was, it was approved. Just put it up. I would concede that there might be parts like that, yeah. but I'm not willing to when a place an author says, and God said, go smite. Like, I'm not at a place where, uh, I know you've probably read a lot and listened to Greg Boyd, mm -hmm. like, and you've talked to him. I'm not at a place where he is with that. Yep. Now, I'm open to be corrected, but um, I just... And, yeah. An interesting point from what you just said that I... This is interesting that we both come to is that the, the initial lens that you start with is God is love. Mm -hmm. Why has God gotten such a bad name mm -hmm. and love continues to have such a good name? Mm. We as people understand love. It's easy to understand. Mm -hmm. Yet the Bible gives us this mathematical equation of God is love. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. God equals love. Mm -hmm. I keep coming back to this idea of like, why, why do we even still use the term God? Can we just say love? Mm. And, you know, what, what's God think of this situation of, you know, uh, a kid that's, that's born gay, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Well, what, let's just take out the word God and all the human trappings that come with it mm -hmm. and just say love. What's love do in this situation where there's a kid hurting? who's scared they're going to be rejected by their family. Mm -hmm. Love just gives them a hug and says, hey, we're going to go through this with you. We're going to figure it out. And, you know, you'll figure it out. We'll be here for you always, you know? I, I would tend to agree with that. I, I tend with that to a large extent. I would, I would, however, maybe just temper a little bit by saying that um, without the context of God, we it's conceivable that we could maybe misunderstand the full implications of love. Like, for example, love sets boundaries, right? Oh, yeah. Tough love. Yeah. So, yeah, we have this term tough love. So, and this does not at all apply. Tough God. Yeah. Tough love. This does not at all apply to the example that you were m mentioning with, you know, LGBT people. I think Christians, we, I have treated LGBT people, people with incredible hatred and, you know, um, homophobia and so forth. That's not what I'm talking about. But with that being said, love has boundaries. And a lot of times those boundaries, I don't understand. Like when my tell my four-year-old don't run out into the street, that four-year-old does not understand. And so my, my, you know, the difference intellectually between the four-year-old and me at 36 is like a drop in the bucket compared to the intellectual yeah. difference between me and God, assuming he exists. So like right. there could be some 
plausible explanation as to why his love does this that I don't quite understand. Right. Now, when, when that kind of thing comes to the idea or the, the situation of LGBTQ stuff, mm -hmm. I would see it more as your four-year-old having, you know, been born with a leg that doesn't work properly mm -hmm. and then telling them, well, make sure you run fast enough. Mm -hmm. You know, that, yeah. that's a different deal than, than that. But that's, that's a very, very culturally entrenched, you know, uh, centuries old uh, issue that is not going away any time quickly, but luckily we've made a lot of progress mm -hmm. on that and hopefully we'll continue to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see, uh, what is belief that, and I guess we should go, we've discussed that a lot, but, um, what do you think of belief as being a choice? Yeah. It, it's a, it's a kind of an odd question. Um, cause I think everyone kind of thinks they just know what mm -hmm. it is, but I came up with this mental idea of, you know, let's, let's go out on the street mm -hmm. and ask people, do you believe belief is a choice? Most mm -hmm. everyone's going to say, of course it's a choice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for a hundred dollars, can you tell me that you believe there's, you know, a mattress behind you? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Choose to. Yeah, no problem. Fall backwards in all confidence and a hundred dollars is yours. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, it's, I don't think you come to belief through a choice. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't think you choose to believe. Now, I think you can choose to open yourself up to mm -hmm. a process of, of belief, and I think you can close yourself off. Just as you can choose to open yourself up to, um, you know, being open to having a relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if I've been really hurt, I can conduct my life in a way that will block me off from ever finding someone to fall in love with mm -hmm. because I'm just gun shy or whatever. Um, but yeah. I, well, I, I think, I think your analogy though, you know, interesting and perhaps helpful is it's, it isolates belief to be a very intellectual exercise in like without any justification for it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So like if I'm there and you offer me the hundred dollars to drop backwards, cause you say there's a mattress there and I have had prior knowledge that the mattress is there. Or let's say you had a relationship with me and I told you there is mm -hmm. a mattress behind you mm -hmm. and you know, Sean, don't look behind you. Do you yeah. trust me? Mm -hmm. Cause I'm not lying to you. Yeah. There's a mattress behind you. Fall back. If you have that relationship with me in confidence then you probably could, mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, to, to isolate it down to simply being a choice on off switch yeah, kind like, of thing. Like contrary to all other evidence, like, right. and we taught, you know, I think this is what a lot of, you know, atheists or skeptics or materialists would like to say is that f Christian faith is purely a decision that is contrary to all other evidence. And I mm. just don't, I just don't think that's true. That's not what faith is. Um, I would say that it is a process of committing to, uh, something because of evidence. Now it's not, it doesn't rest solely on like objective evidence, but it is certainly, you know, a part of a, a, a commitment because of things that have happened along the journey. Um, but you know, even more broadly, I was thinking like, what is, what is belief? And I think 
there is a general sense as well that belief is kind of this intellectual commitment to a set of ideas. Like maybe, I don't know, that's a lot of times like, well, do you believe that the seventh day is the Sabbath, Trent? And you're like, man, I just don't know. Like I can't choose. Like there's nothing that uh, could make me choose to believe that unless I had strong, you know, evidence. I mean, I can still say that I, you do. I, I believe that the Bible says that yeah. the, you know, yeah, 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 absolutely. And I do still believe that taking one day off a week works well. Mm-hmm. And if you don't set some boundaries around it, you'll mow over it eventually. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. just still don't work on Saturdays as there a, you go. a seventh day agnostic, what I would call <laughs> it as like a religious thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so my, my point is that faith to me is not, and I think this is what a lot of Christians has made, have made it out to be, like, do you believe in Jesus? Your whole eternal destiny is riding upon your intellectual agreement that Jesus was the Son of God. And I would say, well, number one, I don't, I question that assumption that if you to say to me today, you know, I'm not sure I do believe in Jesus as the Son of God, like, oh, you know, Trent's doomed forever like right. I, I don't because because faith is it enough to say like i hope in jesus like you know is in, that in my book it is trent <laughs> see that's that's interesting why why do we have the different words of belief and hope yeah well i think like as i was thinking about this like to me i would define belief in a broad sense as a commitment to humility mm. i'm kind of testing that out I could, I could get behind that. Yeah. Like, am I willing to surrender to the idea that I am not like the center of the universe, that I am not all that there is, that I like have to do it all myself, that there is something outside of me that I surrender to. Right. Um, and that I don't have all the answers. See, that kind of, that kind of uh, separates it from a typical Christian definition that yeah. I do have all the answers and my eternal destiny is contingent upon me good. having all the answers. It's saying, right. you know, I, I don't have all the answers, but I want to like, admi- you know, I admit that I don't have all the answers, but I want to, to start discovering them. And so I think of a person takes that first step, like I'm committing to humility that Mm -hmm. I don't have all the answers, but I admit that there might be something outside of me that can give me the answers. Like to me, that is the first step of faith. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. The idea of belief is, is again, tied into intuition. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you experience all these things and they're all like data points and they seem to be aiming at something, mm-hmm. you know, everything you experience, if you take as a, an experiential data point and it all seems to point to something. And through that, you get intuition, you get gut responses, you get belief. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Now to take a million points that aim at something, but you can't see it, mm-hmm. you know, that's the point where I back away from starting to create uh, concrete, uh, beliefs, mm-hmm. you know, I, that's where I, I, this is pointing towards something, but I'm not going to, you know, take this ethereal thing that it's pointing to and think that I can put it into concrete and then use it to 
well, put in a box, put on the shelf or mm-hmm. judge others with. Mm-hmm. Now we all have to have standards and in ways of interacting and everything else. And these are good. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just at this point, so sensitive to this idea of we know enough through these data points to say that God rejects this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. So you're not acceptable. That's where it is that real hang up for me. Mm-hmm. And I, it's this tension of, you know, that prevents me from, from towing a, a standard, you know, historically standard, mm-hmm. uh, Adventist and or Christian way that, that I was brought up in. So there, mm-hmm. there's that tension in my life with that. Well, it sounds like there is a little all or nothing thinking going on. There, oh yeah. Right? I, I struggle with that big time because mm-hmm. I feel like, I, I think that's what I absorbed growing up, mm-hmm. you know? And, and if it's not all there that, and that is, that is mm-hmm. a huge thing. Like if it's not all there, what good is it? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's not the picture that was painted, I don't know how to emotionally embrace something else that's mm-hmm. different. I still don't know that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a very difficult thing for well, me at well, this I point. Well, I mean, to some degree our and I'm not, I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm just making an observation. Our community of faith that we were brought up in that I'm still a part of, I mean, we have 28 beliefs, right? And if you don't agree with one of them, presumably, you know, you're not, you can't be a part of the tribe anymore. (laughs) And then there are some people like who I've met a lot of people who wish we had a hundred of them. So it's like by its nature to some degree, it's like an all or nothing thing. And you know what I like to tell people, um, I was raised when there was actually only 27. I was, when I was baptized, there was only 27, presumably you as well. And so it's like, I'm only a 27 fundamental belief Adventist. Like I never right. signed on to 28. But. <laughs> no, I didn't sign that. <laughs> uh, but no, it's like an all or nothing thing to some degree as well. And so, how, and like, and this is something I'm wrestling with, how to maintain the values that I do, because I believe in all 28 of them, but how to like form community where there is more space for people to still be feel like they belong even though they might believe in two of them. Maybe they might not believe in any of them. Maybe they might believe in 21 of them, you know, whatever it is. Like how do we create that environment where people feel like they belong while still maintaining like my commitment to the, you know, core of what it is. Right. Yeah. I I keep coming back to the analogy of just like a butterfly in an open hand, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, yeah, I believe this, but th- this is a projection from data points. This isn't a solid thing. Mm-hmm. This is like a shadow of like the truth is over here and I'm just getting like an image of it, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it might change. I don't know, but I think so. What do you think? And then we'll actually have a genuine conversation around yeah. that. You know, I, I think that's a, a much safer way to conduct, um, you know, the spiritual art of mm-hmm. <laughs> discernment, if you will. Well, yeah, and again, like that's Adventism at its best was founded upon that idea that we haven't figured everything out. Like these ideas are really bad, like that God's going to burn people in hell forever. Yeah, that's not true. Like we need to improve on that. Right. Um, so I think that's not in opposition to the core of Adventism. Okay. Two more questions yes. before we go too far. Um, trite one on the surface yeah but one that's disturbed me for years Mm. why don't we pray why don't we pray for amputees (laughs) 
You always ask me this. You've asked me this before. Oh, I have, have I? Yeah. Um, I don't know. All right. Is that okay? <laughs> I feel like you're like on the ground with your arm behind your back. No, I don't know. I don't know. It's like at the, at the root of what you're asking is we see it in Scripture, miracles, right? But we don't think that those things could really happen today. I mean, I'd feel like a total ass mm-hmm. if someone came into a church and I was like, hey, armless, come on up here. We're going to pray for you. You need to, be, I, yeah. you know, you I need would, to become a Pentecostal, maybe. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, you know, and now if someone came with cancer, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, we're going to have an all-night vigil, right? Someone's at home with a virus, we'll pray for them, sure. You mm-hmm. know, that, that, and these are all things that have a history of coming and going. Mm-hmm. They just do. But, you know, amputation is, that's final. Um, there is no documented, objectively documented cases, you know, in mm-hmm. recent medical history, uh, of limbs being miraculously prayed for and regenerated. Mm-hmm. Uh, hence we don't commonly do it. Mm-hmm. And the problem, the, the thing that is like the, I, I use this analogy of like, there's a sheet, I might've told you there's a, a sheet stretched tight and there's a little poke in one part of it that you see just poking up mm-hmm. and you run your hand across it and you realize, oh, that's a rhino below the sheet. Mm-hmm. But all you see is the little pink of his horn, you know? To me, when I rub my hand across there and I run into why don't we pray for amputees, mm-hmm. the, the rhino below there that you don't see is that we're just lying to ourselves mm-hmm. and there's nothing, mm-hmm. you know, and we, we actually know it. And that's why we don't pray for amputees mm-hmm. because we know that's not coming back, mm-hmm. but we can play in this mm-hmm. like, Oh, cancer is going to get fixed. Now, believe you me, if my, either of my kids gets anything wrong with them, I'll be the first to hit the floor on my knees mm-hmm. doing anything I have to do, asking any deity I have to, to, to fix them. I, I don't so, know what to do with that. Yeah, I guess kind of as you're talking, I'm thinking that it's maybe a little apples and oranges. Okay. Um, an amputee, you know, not to dis- like discourage anyone who these, has... These are physical conditions. conditions. If you're asking a deity to intervene with cancer, there's but no cancer, this border. Is, this is my point here. Okay. Cancer, by and large, in our minds, equals death, right? This is a terminal... Okay. disease sure if you break your arm i'm mm-hmm. not praying for your broken i mean i'm saying you know help trent to feel better healing mercies yeah, yeah healing mercies <laughs> so forth um but like cancer is a terminal disease depending when you get it how old you yeah. are and, yeah you yeah know, but by and large we know that that if it it's think carried, of it as yeah yeah we sure we know that that's the could be the ultimate implication of it so if someone loses an arm, you know, I, I'm not to say that I, I, hey, just get over it, you amputees, but um, it's not quite to the same level. Right. But I mean, you're still asking a deity to intervene mm-hmm. in, in a miraculous mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. you know, outside of what nature would just normally mm-hmm. do, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, and, you know, why do I not personally pray for amputees? First of all, I'm not sure I know very many, but um, by and large in life, like I am not as 
troubled by those types of temporal issues. Like, like I, you know, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, thy will be done. Like, Mm-hmm. Maybe, but then why the pray for in faith and it will be healed mm-hmm. texts? Those are very, very difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Now I can, like you're saying, you know, kind of write some of those things off as, eh, you know, eh. mm-hmm. what's the core of this thing? It's love and it's God, you know, mm-hmm. and, and these people were off on some stuff and I can interpret the Bible that way and not be worried about that. But if I'm honest with myself and I'm doing my all or nothing black or white, mm-hmm. you know, thing that I'm, that troubles me, it's like, no, the Bible says this and it's pretty seemingly pretty clear, you know, yeah. Say a prayer and faith. And then, well, you know, I, you know, that's, we could get into a biblical discussion of how to interpret those passages. Yeah. I've not interpreted them extensively, but I'm not so sure that they necessarily say, if you just pray, then you'll be healed uh, of any physical malady or whatever. Well, it has to be in faith. Yeah, well, even there. And that seems very Machiavellian to me. Yeah, I don't want to go down that road and like, oh, man, you just didn't have enough faith. It's your yeah. fault. Yeah, so, that's a hard one. I, I, and I, yeah, I don't think that there may be as explicit as you're presenting them to be. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I am an, I don't know person in many ways, Yeah, which is funny because I answer my kids a lot with maybes and I don't knows, and, and my wife's just like, they need solid answers. I don't get used to it. Yeah. Um, all right. Last one, which is just a very small question. Um, <laughs> the if then problem, mm-hmm. like, so, so I've realized like in the last two weeks through marriage counseling and, and other things that and I don't know that this is for sure, but I I may have throughout most of my life have been uh, v- interacting with many people in my lives in a very dysfunctional way, like not even just my wife, but like other people, where I would tease them to create a little bit of off balance mm-hmm. to put them at a point of vulnerability mm-hmm. and then be the type of person that withholds acceptance Mm -hmm. in a way to then put them in a holding pattern so I can control the situation more easily. Mm -hmm. And in that, that's really disturbing. Yeah, I'm 41. (laughs) Yeah, I'm 41. And to be doing that kind of stuff to people, if that's what I have been doing, is really messed up. But you realize that. Halfway through my life, I mean... That's pretty pathetic. That's that. I mean, and why would I even do something so terrible to begin with? You know, like, shouldn't I have been a little, my point is I know people who are 80 and they don't know any level of like, I do this to people. And so anyway, keep going. Well, this, this is very possible that I've been interacting that way. And, and even before I realized this, I, Amber and I in, in discussing proper ways of conducting a relationship would talk about like, um, if then statements are not mm-hmm. good, you mm-hmm. know, like just, just yesterday I came home and we bought a shipping container to store stuff in because we just moved and the door was left open mm-hmm. and Simon goes in and he gets a shovel and he digs massive holes in the yard and I come home and it's open. And so I call up Amber and I'm like, you know, can you just remember to tell the kids to, uh, 
shut the shut the container door, put the stuff away. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, then I'm going to have to get a lock for it. And she's like, mm-hmm. now we talk about this. No if then statements. That's mm-hmm. not proper. And I was like, okay, you're right. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll rework that. Mm-hmm. But it seems like, you know, much of the religion growing up mm-hmm. was based on a lot of if then type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, you can interpret the Gospels as a love-centered thing, and you are just accepted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't feel that way growing up, mm-hmm. and my feelings are important, apparently. And, <laughs> you know, I felt like if I can clear out that lost closet of things I'm not admitting, or if I can get that sin out of my life, or mm-hmm. if, 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 then God will come in. Like, mm-hmm. I have to clean out the house so mm-hmm. God can come in. If then, if then, if then. Lo and behold, I'm if thening a lot of other uh, people and things in my life mm-hmm. and doing some really messed up stuff. And, you know, it, was this reinforced by this kind of view? Mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of issues with the, you know, the whole philosophy behind... Uh, the gospel and the religions from that perspective. Mm -hmm. If I look at it and I kind of allow myself to reinterpret it as a message of love and acceptance first, Mm -hmm. period, Mm -hmm. first, end of story, and we'll walk with you after that, Mm -hmm. you know, then, then I start to see things differently. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can, I can get behind that. Mm -hmm. Um, What's your take on that, though, of like I, a if-then yeah, thing I would coming say, through religion? I would say you're not too far from the kingdom, my my friend. <laughs> Hopefully not with if-then stuff, though. <laughs> no, I am I am 100% with you. I think that is, to to some extent, the, the core of the distinction between what I would call biblical Christianity and all false religions— False religion, and I would even extend, like, atheism does this. I mean, this is... Yeah, don't get me started on atheism. They, uh, yeah, you're no fan of atheism. No, I, I... Okay, atheism stabs you in the heart, and theism can cut your head off. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, yeah. you get what I'm saying yeah. there? Yeah. I mean, the days when I'm an atheist are just like, <laughs> you know, I feel like a, a gray piece of metal with a lot of holes in it, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And the days or the time, I I have no propensity for releasing myself back into belief right now. Mm -hmm. Like that's not an emotional draw. Like I've, I don't know, but I'm definitely pulled towards atheism emotionally. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, it, it limits what's possible, uh, if, if you go to a skeptic mm-hmm. point of view, there's many, many atheists that are open to there being a God mm-hmm. uh, that would just kind of be, uh, you know, left of center of agnosticism where they would just say, I'm an atheist because I just don't simply believe, mm-hmm. you know, so whatever. Mm-hmm. But they're not, you know, absolutely there is no God and I can prove it. Uh, but the there is a um, there is a lack of truth uh, that's able to be perceived beyond staring at the objective dots on a jumbotron in front of you. Mm -hmm. If you take that skeptical view and you say, I'm only going to look at the red, green, and blue dots on the jumbotron and that's it. 
and I'm going to be two inches from it, you're not going to be able to be the 50, 70 feet back and see that Mm -hmm. people are getting proposing to each other. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. the skeptical point of view appeals to me very much, but it hurts so Mm -hmm. bad and I don't like it, Mm -hmm. but it appeals to my intellect, you Mm -hmm. know, to my logic. So yeah, the, that's, Hmm. Yeah, well, I would say that atheism has no satisfying answer to your question of if-then, because it has, I mean, it's it's contingent upon uh, a person being the master of their own uh, journey and, like, trying to um, forge a path on, you know, by oneself. Now... You know, there's the question of trying to um, extend one's gene pool and all that. We're not we're not yeah. getting into that. But like when I'm sitting there and it's like there's one piece of pie left and it's either my wife or me who's going to have it. Like atheism logically would say I'm going to be the one who takes it. Well, no, not entirely. Well, because, okay, you know, if you allow your wife to have it, she's going to help you out in the long term. Yeah, so okay. there's there's those arguments. That's not true and... altruism, though. Uh True. Yeah, I've heard a lot of different discussions yeah. on that, and so, I'm not really informed yeah. to a degree to be yeah. able to even. I, I've I've read Richard Dawkins on his views on altruism, and when it comes really down to it, it's not altruism. Yeah. So anyway, the point is is that this if then stuff is at the core of what I would say all false systems of thought, mm. conditional type of right approach like. Right. It's my, my estimation of you is contingent upon your behavior towards me right. to a large extent. And I would say that Christianity at its core has this beautiful, beautiful teaching called prevenient grace. Prevenient? Prevenient grace. Kind of it's convenient, also, but it's prevenient. All, well, it's, all, it's, it's also called preceding grace mm-hmm. that... God has already acted towards me liberally and repeatedly and abundantly. He has moved towards me long before I ever did anything, ever knew anything, ever wanted him to move towards me, ever asked him to move towards me. He has given me his mercy, his compassion, his love, his grace, even without my choice. Those things preceded my behavior. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that it, that that is at the core of Christianity that to some degree that's like the the thing of Christianity that God's heart towards me is not contingent upon my heart towards him, my behavior towards him, my actions towards him. And so if I have that perception of God, as we mentioned before, that's very healing and it ironically accomplishes the good behavior but it gets at it from a different right. path, right. you know? So, yeah, I would say, like, you know, the psychoanalyst in me would be tempted to say, well, what is happening really right now for Trent is that at the core, he is rejecting a very uh, conditionalist type of faith. And what has happened as a result is all of these philosophical issues have kind of been the symptoms of that sort of negative experience with a very rigid, 
legalistic if then type of hmm. faith. I wonder if I just as a person, as a personality, pick up on that, you know, solo instrument being played within Adventism mm-hmm. where someone else can go through the same thing but pick up on a different track of uh, i don't know I, I would i mean i would say that it's not a solo instrument that's part, part of the problem yeah is uh there's a lot of that that almost at times we get onto the wrong tune yep. like the whole orchestra is starting we have music playing in the background right now is playing yeah. is playing that that tune and yep. um so it's not you know not to um like imply that you're not special because you are special trend. Oh, I'm special. <laughs> but I, I mean, there's a lot of people who have this and there's a lot of people who have different personalities that they respond to that sort of rigid, like if then, because that's just their yeah. personality and they need some type of control and they think, okay, if I can just perform, then I can be secure. Right. And like the problem with that is you can only sustain that for so long. Yep. There's only so long that you can have an experience that at the core is tearing you down. And see, uh, to me, that appeals to me because that, if I can perform, that puts it within my ability Mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. And I feel that I can figure anything out and I can do anything I set my mind to. Mm -hmm. And that probably very uh, counter, not counterintuitively, but works against me in a situation where you just have to let go and be in, in mm-hmm. you know, in, in a, that sounds very Buddhist, I guess, too. But I think there's, yeah. there is a lot of um, letting go and, and not trying to have that control mm-hmm. that, that I very much want to have. Mm-hmm. So that's, a, that's probably something working against me. And that's prob- I probably picked up on the, you know, that part of mm-hmm. it a lot and said, okay, then, well, that's within my control. I can do, mm-hmm. then I will have. Mm-hmm. And that's just probably not a real healthy way of, of doing things in general and mm-hmm. connecting to something that's not that type of entity. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there we go. I, I don't know how I can disagree with you. I, you know, I, that's, that's your own the quietness of your own heart and mind. You know yourself. Yeah better than I do, obviously. Well, uh, it's been almost two hours and 15 minutes. Do you think people are still listening? (laughs) Well, I think I might break this down into two episodes so people can, uh, not fall asleep, uh, you know? Um, but yeah, thank you so much for driving, taking the three hours, three and a half hours it takes to get down here. Not quite uh, that long, but it was a little ways. You weren't breaking the law, were you? Breaking the law. (laughs) But again, uh, Sean Brace yeah. and uh, what is your Instagram? Sean Brace. Just Sean Brace. Yep. And, and uh, Twitter. And my wife and I have a podcast called Mission Lab. Mission Lab. I've listened to one or two of those a couple nice. months ago, I think. Yeah. You're the one who was listening. They're the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's, there's uh, one other person listening to this too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's cool. Yeah, cool. Well, again, thank you so much for coming down. Uh, really appreciate your insight and your thoughts and your thinking outside of the box, uh, what you are doing. Uh, I think there are personalities that are called to stay within Adventism mm-hmm. and be reformers. Mm-hmm. Um, I I am 
I am called to be an accuser from the outside. <laughs> accuser apparently. of the brethren. Yeah. So <laughs> hey, I, I'm doing plenty of that inside the system. Yeah. So I, I still think everyone should search spiritually. I think mm-hmm. it's a good path. And I think, um, you know, I, I can't judge people one way or the other. Um, just as much encourage them to, to try and think and, and get closer to truth and not take anything at face value too much. So, but anyways, yeah. thanks again for coming all the way down. Thanks, really appreciate Trent. it. It was awesome. Yeah. And uh, you can see this on YouTube. And uh, There's always stuff at the end of these that I remember later, like, oh, I should have said this. I like, know. You should go to oh, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So check it out on the website or on the podcast or in YouTube. And we could definitely use your support on Patreon. So go visit that as well. And you might have a Patreon page for years I as do well. Not. I don't. I do not. Uh, you should. Okay. Okay. (laughs) But anyways, thanks for coming down and thanks for watching and listening, everyone.